Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Eyes of the Mize. My name is John. That's Ian. Hello. It is episode 93, where the hot sauce is the boss. I had mac cheese tonight and put some Sweet Baby Ray's on it, and their slogan is, the sauce is the boss. And it kind of ties into Pro Tour, because we'll get into that in a minute, but yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we're going to talk about Pro Tour 25th anniversary. Um, I watched exactly 0% of it. Um, so Ian's going to be taking the lion's share of the episode, talking Where, about it. Whereas you were there I watched and modded most of it. <laughs> there you go. Ugh. But before we do so, we're going to turn eyes to the community real quick, because for those of you who haven't seen the San Diego Comic-Con uh, promos. What are you doing with your gorgeous. life? Uh, Teresa Nielsen did great arts, uh, almost stained glass quality um, portraits of current planeswalkers um, that with older planeswalkers that are related to in the background. Uh, the Chandra Torch of Defiance painting with Jaya Ballard as the kind of uh, background sold for $35,000. They also have gold leafing in the painting, too. Oh, like yeah. She put gold leafing in there. It's pretty crazy. And currently, Jay's cutting Castaway, which shows Jay's in front of a st- of a um, stained glass of Urza, is currently at $50,000 with about six days left. Yeah. It, Therese is... Uh, Making some bank off of the San Diego Comic-Con set, let me tell you what. Oh, yeah. It's always a great idea to commit to ask Therese to make new card art for you. Like, she's going to end up with over six, like six figures for these Easy. five paintings for these things. Easy. Oh, yeah. And and to be fair, it's 100% deserving of it. These art, This mm-hmm. artwork is just the stone cold ba- bananas. Yeah. I was going to say stone cold uh, nut, but whatever. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm allergic to those. And then one that I wanted to add, uh, on Sunday, um, one of our local friends and podcast uh, co-host from time to time, Vinny, uh, won a PPTQ. I saw that on Facebook. Yeah, way to go, Vinny. Congrats on winning that PPTQ, man. He won a modern PPTQ up here in Nashville. He was playing uh, Eight Whack Goblins. Oh, what do you know? Yep. Uh, I heard that's gotten a bit of a shot in the arm recently. Yep, and he had had Chain Whirlers in the board. Uh, his mana base is is really exciting. It's six mountains, then four wooded foothills, four bloodstained mires, two scalding tarns, and two of the other red fetch. So, like, he's only playing six mana producing lands. Correct. His deck is mostly one drops, then a couple twos, uh, burning tree emissary, reckless bushwhacker, gobble bushwhacker. You know, legion loyalist. I'm assuming. Yeah. Uh, yes, legion loyalist, and he won the finals. Uh, over um, Jeskai Control. He dropped game one, and then he won his game two and three. So, congrats to Vinny. Woo! Go, go get that RPTQ, buddy. Sweet. Amen. So now, speaking of the path to the Pro Tour, we had Pro Tour 25th anniversary this weekend up in Minneapolis, Minnesota, which was the team event, uh, the one that Vinny, Doug, and I went to where we didn't do as well. Uh, as a reminder, the format is team unified or team Let's say get, uh, get rid of that unified. Yeah, it's team constructed. Yeah, so you have one person plays standard, one person plays modern, one person plays legacy. Yeah, there's no unified. There's no unified in this format, by the way. So like that that means each player can play with four. You can play with you know four copies of I don't know what's on this plate in all formats like, right like now. Like as an example, every they could all play Dragon School Summits. You could all play Teferi. You could all play Teferi. Also true. I mean, more relevant te- than Dragon some, Skull Summit. There were some teams that were playing a lot of the uh, the blue white decks across yep. multiple formats. Mm-hmm. Not not uh, so much Legacy, but the other yeah. ones, yes. Uh, and due to a to accommodate the Silver Showcase, which we'll talk about later, um, instead of sixteen rounds, it was fourteen rounds of Swiss. Uh, so they had seven rounds on day one, seven rounds on day two, with a cut to top four, and then on Sunday they had the semifinals and then the finals to crown the winners yeah um and what's kind of cool is i'm trying to look at some of the standings for it and i realized i can't why because they did a massive deck dump on us literally they gave us every single deck that everybody played yeah so like there's like outside of the top four you don't know like placing yeah because it's impossible to pretty much also um one thing um i think i mentioned or i probably didn't mention in the rptq uh, episode um and there's a big talk about it after the after the fact about players talking about their individual records with decks 
when when a team event is set or when you sign the slip for a team event, you just put two O in favor of whoever won. Because if you're if the first two matches end up in one team's favor, then the third match doesn't matter. So just putting two O makes sense there. But then if it goes to three matches, you still only sign it two O. So even though say for as an example, out in Texas I went seven and zero, but Vinny went. I think I think we ended up agreeing that he went like three three and one, based on the fact that he would have had a couple extra wins, or he would have he would have what was it? Um, there are a few times where he was going to win, but we just won. The rest of us won too quickly. So I essentially <laughs> gotcha. So I have a question with that. Yeah. You said just put two o. What if Modern wins a game, or Modern wins on one team, Standard wins on the other team, and then it's decided by the legacy on the other side. Can't Who, you put whichever two team? One? No, you you put two zero. Okay, I didn't. That's know that. what they. That's what they told us at the RPTQ. Uh, that seems, so that's what they said at the Pro Tour. It seems basically it's for tiebreakers. Yeah, that's kind of what I was thinking. Is like, yeah, because you could end up. Okay, I can see how like not dragging it out and just going getting two would but like. Someone going two one can really kind of get hinky with the tiebreakers. It makes it a lot cleaner. Yeah, and that's just why. Um, so again, it, like it was a clean, after the fact. It was a clean yeah. cut though. That's nice pro tour. Yeah, it was. Um, so it was thirty three points and above got in. There were a couple teams that were on thirty one points. I'm trying to get to the tournament results standings. Yeah, so 30, 33 points got in. Uh, there were two teams on 31. Uh, Froelich, Nassif, Williams, Esper Verthude, Salvato, and Pozzo, also on 31 mm-hmm. points. Um, there were a bunch of teams on 30, a couple on 27. Um, yeah. So we talked about the winner, right? Uh, we haven't talked about the winner, but we can. Okay. Because the team of Alan Wu, Ben Hall, and Greg Orange uh, playing Death and Taxes, Hollow One, and Blue Eye Control – um, respectively, of Team Hot Sauce Games, as mentioned in the title, uh, defeated Team Channel Fireball, uh, Josh Utter-Layton, Ben Stark, and Martin Yuza on the decks of Blue Black Death Shadow and Legacy, KCI in Modern, and Red Black Aggro in Standard, respectively. Yeah, so there are, if, I, I know you haven't watched it, John, so here's where I'm gonna <clears throat> take over a little bit. If you have not watched, like, if you're gonna watch any of this Pro Tour, Go watch the matches from Sunday. The semifinals and finals, because there's no quarterfinals, because it's only a top, cut to top four. The the level of magic, like the skill level, is just insane. Now, what is kind of interesting is remember how we were talking like, oh, there might, there's you know, they're, you're just going to have a whole bunch of pro teams and stuff like that at the top. Well, there was a team of let's get these names here. He's only use last names. Christoph Gregor. Uh, went past it real quick. Uh, Branko Nierik and uh, Thomas Vanderpelt. They have no team affiliation. So there was a team that made it into the fi- top four without a team affiliation. The next place team that didn't have one was Andrew Beckstrom, <laughs> Cohen, and one of the Kiefer brothers. So pretty good, but still, it was kind of interesting that they uh, these guys just didn't have any kind of team affiliation at all period um just i think vanderpelt had bit, had top aided one other pro tour at some point from what i was seeing on coverage but um the the level of play was just outstanding um we got to watch in one of the finals matches alan Wu on legacy death and taxa which is basically a mono white deck with a couple artifact creatures in it also plays things like rashidden port wasteland it it is the reason why Death and Taxes is called Death and Taxes. Yeah, it has Stone it has Stoneforge with a couple of the swords and Batter Skull package and stuff in it too. But Josh Utter Layton and Team Channel Fireball and their friends really teched out their sideboard for Blue Black Death Shadow because Death and Taxes is not a good matchup. So they have a ton of cyborg cards that are silver bullets that are designed to kick butt at this one. And the one that was basically aimed directly at this matchup is three copies of dread of night now that is a black enchantment so it's a one pip one mana black enchantment white creatures get minus one minus one i heard you like hate cards 
it is single-handedly targeted at beating, making sure your Thalia dies, Flicker Wisp dies, everything, every threat in Death and Taxes dies to this with one exception. Yeah. Phyrexian Revoker. <laughs> Can I tell you uh, what won the game? Phyrexian uh, Revoker. Yeah. Phyrexian Revoker. He stuck a Phyrexian Revoker naming Liliana and then through use of, let me, let me tell you what, Palace Jailer. That card did some freaking work this weekend. There's a reason why people had uh, have been really rallying for it to be on Magic Online. Oh, yeah. It's in Palace Jailer, by the way, is the two white, white, two, two human soldier uh, from Conspiracy 2. When it enters the battlefield, you become the monarch. Uh, when Palace Jailer ex- enter- or enters the battlefield, exile target creature and opponent controls until an opponent becomes the monarch. Now, Usually you'd be like, oh, you get rid of this. And as soon as you get rid of the creature, they get their thing back. But if you can control the board where you don't let your opponents attack, you can stay the Monarch even after Palace Jailer dies. And that's the strength of that card. Yep. Um, there were a couple games in the semifinals where Utter Layton basically had a creature locked down for three or four turns versus Marcio Carvalho also playing Death and Taxes where the palace jailers just completely locked him out of being able to play anything. Um, and Carval was drawing a card and like would, he, they would stick a creature and be able to kill the thing on the next turn, but like off the monarch trigger, Marcio Carvalho would uh, draw a path to exile or, you know, source of plowshares and kill it off. Uh, another thing is source of plowshares is a hell of a card against the death shadow matchup because you gain life off of it. So you kill a Death Shadow and it automatically resets you back up to 13. Yeah. Because <laughs> whatever you were at, back up to 13. It's like the trick. Um, there's an old, old, an older uh, gif of Gabe Nassif playing blue-white control against a Death Shadows player. And his opponent was attacking uh, with a Tassiger and two Death Shadows. And they were at 8. And then he used Condemn on the Tassiger. Which causes his opponent to gain five life and then kill both his death shadows. It's so good. It's just it was it's it, it was a three for one. It was magnificent. Oh yeah. So that kind of stuff happened. Um but yeah, Alan Wu winning a game because he locked out a Liliana uh last hope with the yep. revoker and then was just able to control the board. Ireland and swung in with the creature and then he got back the monarch, undid the Delver that was under the monarch uh exile. Mm-hmm. Then on the next turn, Alan Wu just saddles up a, uh, what was it? The Revoker with a, a Sword of Fire and Ice. Because he had a path to exile the path. He pathed away the Death Shadow that was sitting there. So all he had was Delver sitting there. But a Sword of Fire and Ice, unblockable, boop, catch it for last two damage. There it, you go. Uh, the, whole, the whole game is just expertly played by Alan Wu. Like I said, I can't talk enough about this. I mean, I've already been rambling, so and so. Yeah. But um, Martin Yuza on the red black aggro won a game in under two minutes of time. Like the coverage had to say, yeah, you see that correctly. He won a game. He won his first game in under two minutes. Um, we also got to see Ben Stark go off with Casey, uh, Clark, Clark clan Ironworks. That's why we call it KCI. People. Yeah. KCI <laughs> after his opponent in the semifinals, uh, who was Saparito or Tiago Saparito on humans had, reflector maged back the mirror retriever to his hand the turn before so and ben was dead on the crackback so ben had to go off that turn with kci combo without the use of a mirror retriever which is one of the key cards in terms of actually creating the loop now mirror retriever for those who don't know is a two-man artifact creature mirror it's a one one whenever or when mirror retriever is put into graveyard from play return another target artifact card from your graveyard to your hand there's a weird timing sequence in the rules in terms of mana production where you can actually sacrifice certain things to other things at certain times basically you have with a card clan ironworks out you sacrifice an artifact add two mana to your mana pool because it's a mana ability you can sacrifice a scrap trawler which is a three mana three two artifact construct whenever scrap trawler or another artifact you control is put in a graveyard from the battlefield return to your hand target artifact card in your graveyard with lesser converted mana cost you literally can take Clan Ironworks, sacrifice Scrap tra- Trawler and Mirror Retriever at the same time. So they both, so it sees both triggers off the Scrap Trawler. So you just get the Mirror Retriever back to your hand and a one-mana artifact back to your hand. And you start going off with a loop. 
I believe he means well. You can also just pick up scrap trawler and uh, mirror retriever. But yeah, the whole fact that with scrap trawler in play and having mirror retriever is really really hard to fizzle. Yeah, you get basically you net mana out of it out of it every time you do it, and it's ridiculous. The loops are crazy. I don't even I have not bothered even looking at the loops just because. I have no interest in playing the deck. It is pretty ridiculously bonkers. People have been calling for it to be banned, and I'll get to that a little bit more. But anyway, KCI was great. Um, Greg Orange on Blue Eye Control. There are some. There's a, a GIF and a clip that's out there of he just had this hand one time against his opponent. I think it was in day two, where he, his his teammates usually. All right, so in team events, you can actually kind of you know help your teammates out and stuff like that. Alan Wu and Ben Hull were just like, Greg, Greg's Greg got the, the blue eye control deck. We aren't going to help him at all. We're just going to sit back and let him do it. And Greg Orange is amazing with that blue eye control deck in standard right now. But he had a hand where he kind of like looked at his buddies like, yo, check it out. And did like the smirk and like smirk and nod. Like just with his opponent doing stuff. And he's just like smirking and nodding like and showing his friend his, his hand. And it's just like, oh my God, I would be so demoralized if I saw that across the battlefield. The, the yeah, casters just the casters just lost it. They're like, look at him. He's just having fun over there. Yeah, there's two types of players when it comes to team events: the ones who always want advice, and the ones who are just like, I got this. Yeah, don't worry about me. And then again, the 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 modern deck that won is Hollow One. So, you know, it's, it's Hollow One. The usual fare: try to pitch as many cards as possible, cast free four fours. Yeah, uh, using stuff like stuff. Goblin Lore, Burning Inquiry, which like lets you discard a couple draw a couple and get some free hollow ones who knows but anyway um they were calling it hollow one because you know his last name is hull so instead of hollow yuck, hollow yuck, 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 chat yuck. chat was doing that all weekend long it was ridiculous yep. but so even though channel fiber lost they were actually fighting for more than just the championship they were actually fighting for a slot in the team series finals because we talked about this last week and I said, you know, if they win and some other team does really well inside their thing, they could possibly pass Ultimate Guard. Well, they almost did. <laughs> Had they nice. won, they would have surpassed Ultimate Guard and it would have been Team Harari Latin versus Team Channel Fireball in the Team Series Final. As it is, it's Team Ultimate Guard versus Team Harari Latin. Aren't the Team Series Finals top four this year? I don't know. They, were only, ta- they were only talking about two teams. I don't know if okay. they're still in the soft launch for that or not. I thought they were f- top four, but... I know, Anyways. I know. Uh, Paul Rietzel and Johnny Finkel were absolutely rooting for uh, hot sauce, and they're like, gotcha. "See you in Vegas, boys." So, but, so some decks in note because there was some spice that came during this pro tour. Uh, usually, you don't see people breaking the meta game, but holy crap, they broke the standard meta game, and by they, I mean a bunch of guys with Dave Williams and such. Um, Gabe Nassif and uh, Mark Herberholtz yep. tightened up the deck, and we're looking at Bant Turbo Fog. Yes, that is that so, is a phrase that you just said. So Turbo Fog using Hazel Pollen, Root Snare, and basically just making sure your opponent doesn't attack or can't do anything with like Teferi, Karn. It's using extra turn cards like for Nexus of Fate. And holy crap, we could talk about that card all day because the the Biobox promo was good. It's better than it should have should have been if it had been, you know, sorcery. I don't know if making it a sorcery would have changed this fact. I don't think it would have, deck. but necess- yeah, not for Turbo Fog, but like even so, like it uses Karn's Temporal Sundering, the Mirror Mirari Conjecture to get back some of your fogs. It's hilarious. Um, bunch of card draw spells. So the the deck is so, so crazy against the metagame of red black and green black and some the aggro decks that their cyber guide for those aggro decks is literally nothing. It's like you're good. Your main board is good. Literally don't have to cyborg. That's insane. Yes. Like not yes, having to cyborg is bananas. But versus control, you bring in nine cards. Like you bring in six counter spells, two Baral and uh Nezi. That's all. Yes. So basically, yep. you bring in your control, your deck control bit. You sideboard out the fogs and bring in counter spells and storm. So the, mo- the next step we're going to talk about is Mono Blue Storm. But basically, you bring in literally all of your sideboard. You sideboard 15 cards for the matchup. 
Yeah, you bring out all your fogs, your gifts, your Karn Temporal Sundering, your uh, Mirari Conjecture, two more, uh, uh, what's it called? What are the gifts? Oh, Gift of Paradise, which are your mana ramp uh, enchantments on your lands and stuff. Um, he would only have changed, get rid of Search for the Golden City to one more Anticipate and one more Search for Ascanta. Like, the deck is nuts. Yeah. The, the How yeah. nuts it was, people were getting the math anywhere between 70 and 80% win rate. Which as we which um is a little spurious because as we mentioned earlier, um those numbers aren't necess- aren't technically reported. Um although obviously people are gonna know like, oh, I won like eight times over the over the course of the week. Oh yeah, no, this so. is this was gathered from people saying like, yo, I went I did this many wins with my deck. I went like eight and three or eleven, whatever. Like this is people like literally keeping track of me and like telling friends like, hey, this is what my record was. Like yeah. collected records off of people. The deck did what like close to Eldrazi numbers in terms of how well it did against the field. Yeah. I will also say that that cyborging guide is likely to change because there are like, for example, red black or mono red can easily play something like insult to entry in their sideboard or even main deck, which negates fogs. Oh, absolutely. So oh, absolutely. That, that cyborg guide may change going forward in standard. Oh no, no, no. Yeah, for sure. I was just referencing that cyborg guide as like they found the literal meta breaking deck, which is perfect. Like you never hit that kind of like it's very rare to hit that kind of thing. Like I mentioned, Eldrazi did it a couple years ago. Yeah, at, with but Game Eldrazi Watch. was also busted. It was busted, but like I'm talking like when you can just destroy the meta game. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, it's true. Uh, Mono Blue Artifact Storm was the other cool kind of deck that came not quite out of nowhere. We had seen this before. Um, it had been around basically the entire time. Um. It's just paradoxical outcome, and it's a storm deck, so I'm on board. Yeah, funnily enough, there was only like a couple people playing it. Like I'm looking at this list, and I see two people playing it: Neil Oliver and Matt Severo. Yeah, but it's pretty rad. There's like only three or four people actually playing Nicol Bolas this weekend too. But yeah, basically, you side map your Thopterist, paradoxical outcome, metallic rebuke, a bunch of cheap artifacts like inspiring statue inspiring statuary what makes it all tick it's a three mana artifact says non-artifact spells you have your cast have improvised so basically whenever you cast it with psi master thopters whenever you cast an artifact spell you create a thopter token which can help you cast everything else you have for cheaper and then you tap a bunch of things untap them with you know they're not even playing that in here yeah they're not, they're not even playing cool. paradoxical and paradox, paradox engine? engine yeah no, there's paying paradoxical outcome. Just tap a bunch of things, bounce a bunch of things, play more things, tap a bunch of things. Find your reservoir, gain a million life, kill them. Yeah. Uh, just shoot them from orbit kind of thing. It's pretty cool. Um, yep. Definitely like the deck. It's, it just, just want to bring it up because it's something that I, people were kicking lists around before the Pro Tour. And I was just like, yeah, this looks like kind of fun. I know some friends yep. of mine are going to be taking it to some PPTQs this weekend, I think. So that would be fun. So that was standard. Uh, modern. Uh, not too much really to mention. Modern is modern. It's hard to come up with a brand new archetype that kind of jumps out of nowhere. But we did but, have one that came out yeah. of nowhere. And yeah, it looks because people love their Venge Vines. In the hands, yeah, it's in the hands of Patrick Dickman of all people and Kazuyuki Takamura, Jund Vengevine. John, you tell us a little bit about yeah. Jund Vengevine. So Jund Vine or Jund Vengevine, whatever you want to call it. Is built around the card. Or Bridge Vine. Or Bridge Vine. Uh, Venge Vine is two green green for a 4 3 haste to Mythic from Rise of the Eldrazi. Um, that's basically its only text. The other text is what makes it so much fun for people that like to play it. Uh, if you cast your second creature spell of the turn and Venge Vine's in your graveyard, just put it on the battlefield. So, what this deck is trying to do is it's trying to fill up its graveyard with dredge cards, the Stitcher Supplier being a new card. Um, get a bunch of Venge Vines in their graveyard, cast two, one, or zero mana creature spells, put those Venge Vines into play, and bash in. Uh, back when Hollow One was starting to kind of get its formula, we had seen a few Venge Vine Hollow One decks that fill in that same, you know, that kind of that same space. You discard a bunch of Venge Vines, play two free Hollow Ones, get a bunch of Venge Vines back, and then attack with a bunch of Haste creatures. So it's a similar style of deck, except it's trying to be a little bit more explosive than previous modern Vengevine decks have been. Yeah, so 
um there was a couple different like there was a couple different changes between patrick's deck and kazu and kazuki's deck namely though in like where there's a singleton uh, grim flare in takamura's deck and he's not playing leyline of the void main board like uh dickman was hmm. which is weird but anyway bridge from below really supercharges it because whenever a non non-token creature is put in your graveyard from play if it's in your grave if it's in your graveyard you get a 2-2 zombie token the enchantment not yeah, the, the enchantment because and it's got well but it, you stitch the plier but every creature is either zero mana or one mana with the exception of vengevine but you're also playing viscera seer which lets you sacrifice a creature so you can get a bunch of these creatures in sacrifice it to viscera seer get a bunch of zombie triggers cast a couple more creatures sacrifice a vengevine and get it back cast some hanger back walkers for free get them back and all that kind of stuff grizzly salvage Reveal top five cards in your library, put a creature familiar in your hand, put the rest in your graveyard so you can dump stuff in the yard that way. There's just so much craziness going on in this deck list. And there's ways to uh, recur stuff. And it's, let's put it this way, Vengevine jumped to a $70 card and Bridge from Below jumped to $40 from like, Vengevine was like $20 and Bridge was People like 10 People love their Vengevines. Mm-hmm. I tell you. Oh, yeah. No, it was definitely a really crazy thing. Um, it you, like, The thing is, is people are saying, oh, yeah, rest in peace. Like, no, you can actually beat rest in peace with this deck. Which is bonkers. Yeah, like, you can literally power out a couple of Vengevines by the time a rest in peace hits the board if you do it right. Yeah. Uh, if you're on the play. I will say the little bit that I did get to watch, I was watching a Jeskai control versus or blue white control versus uh this Junvine deck and i see the Junvine player attack with a token a, zo- a zombie token and a viscerous here the opponent flashes in a a um a um vendillion clique clicks themselves puts their rat their their t- terminus on the bottom of their deck and then blocks the seer in an attempt to try to get the um the bridges out of their opponent's graveyard instead of blocking the two power creature, which was a little wild to me. That's yeah. It's, it's insane. Like yeah. the deck is ridiculous. It's great, but the real talk of the town, we already mentioned this deck today. Um, so legacy metagame after the banning of death, right? Shaman has kind of been like uh, people poking, prodding around trying to figure out, you know, What's good in the format? So Reanimator has made a resurgence. Death and Taxes. Eldrazi Stompy is the flavor du jour of a lot of good players like Eric Froelich and Andrea Mangucci were playing at this. And Ben Sack was playing at this weekend. Um, Eldrazi Post has been popping up. I know some friends of mine actually are pretty big into that one. A lot of people are on Grixis Control. Still had their Grixis decks. They just angled it more towards a control deck. Because, um, you know... Kermang Angler, Biffle Strix, Snapcaster Mage, still a powerful, potent creature combination to go along with some of the busted Planeswalkers that uh, that color combo gets. Yep. Um, Grixis is just a great color combination for playing. Seriously. People were still on Grixis Delver. A couple people brought that. Don't know how well it did, but you know, jamming a couple of true name nemesis in the deck and Gurmang Angler's like three true names in the main board for these decks. So heavy blue. But there was a contingent couple people brought grixis death shadow and people brought blue black death shadow so yeah and this is not the first time that uh death shadow has made a appearance on the legacy stage not even in the hand not even in the hands of josh Arthur layton who i believe he played a blue black death shadows deck at a legacy gp not too long ago um it was last i think it was like it a was GP last Seattle, year yeah. Oh no, yeah, it was Seattle. He and he just put the deck aside for a couple because they hadn't figured out the proper tech. He got Stoneblade, Teamer Delver, Sneak and Show, their prison miracles. A couple people brought Infect. Woo woo. Yep. Um, former Pro champion Jason Chung brought it. There so that's kind of cool. Um, but yeah, no, Blue Black, Blue Black Death Shadow is the the talk of the town. Um, they just they 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 cracked it. Um, and Andrew Beckstrom, who just hit platinum, so congrats, BK. Um, with his performance at this year's Pro Tour. Uh, that's pretty awesome and rad. He had kind of suggested the guys, this is from LSV talking in one of the things. He said, hey, there's this Grixis Death Shadow list. Let's just check it out, see how it goes. And they tuned it down, realized they didn't need the red necessarily. So um, if you look at the players who were on it, Andrew Bexton, Ben Friedman, Alexander Hain, Tom Martell, Sam Pardee, 
uh, LSV, and a couple other people like Octavio Pereira, Lucas Schwendiger, and also uh, Joshua Layton. That's mainly the core of like the old school Channel Fireball team, like the old school, old school CFB team. So they were all still t- testing partners, and they just decided this deck is just the nut, and all ran it to amazing records. So this is coming from Ben Stark's Twitter. Is so he, he was like I said, we mentioned he was on. He was on Modern. He's on KCI. Day one of the Pro Tour, he only lost one match. Day two, he only won one match. So this is where your teammates come in handy. Remember, they made the top four with one of they their made the finals. With, yeah, they made the finals, and one of their players didn't even win. Like only won one match in the entire second day of competition. Like that's how crazy the rest of the guys are. Like good players will help you out, but Raptor only lost one match each day. Yeah, in day one and day two with this and deck. like so like. And like, if you're Ben Stark and you go, you know, you bat 500 at a pro tour, you're probably not feeling too great. But the fact that it's a team event and he was able to be picked up by Josh and Martin, you know, changed the entire atmosphere. Oh, of yeah. How you how you feel you're doing because he made the finals of the pro tour again. Yeah. Even though he personally didn't do very high, which is crazy. Um, so some of the real fun tech cards. I mean, the difference between your modern shadow decks. And legacy is you get to play brainstorm, ponder, preordain, uh, force of will, days. You know the typical blue legacy suite of cards. Um, some cool tech cards are snuff out, which is a three and a yeah. three and a black instant. Now remember, alternate paying costs are always broken AF. Three and a black instant. If you control a swamp, you may pay four life instead of paying snuff out's mana cost. Destroy target not back black creature. It can't be regenerated. Well, this deck wants to lose life. There you go. Four, four life is nothing to this deck. The, the the truest of all the tech, though, and it's just a PS de resistance that everyone's like, why is this here? And, every, and when P, I, I even mentioned this to you before the podcast, they're like, I don't get this one. And I'm like, oh, it's there for one card only. And you're like, oh, oh, yeah. it's Throne of Geth in the sideboard. Now, what's Throne of Geth, you say? Well, it's a two-mana artifact that says tap, sack an artifact, proliferate. Reminder text for proliferate. You choose any number of permanents and or players with counters on them. Then give each another counter of a kind already there. So Chalice of the Void is a card that literally shuts down this deck because it's playing one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine one mana cards. Nine. But, But that's nine different cards, not like total in the deck. We're looking at maybe a good half the deck is one mana spells. You stick yep. a chalice on one against a death shadow deck in modern, you better have that's why we have red in modern, because yep. you have all the artifact destruction. Throne of Geth lets you pop it up to two. Now the funny part is, is there the main people that play that are usually Eldrazi decks, or they call it Steel Stompy, which is basically legacy uh affinity. Yep. So the affinity player, you know. Looking at an affinity list, you've got Arcbound Ravager, Phyrexian Revoker, Steel Overseer, Thorn of Amethyst, all two mana cards. And out of the sideboard, Umazawa Jite, Sorcerer Spyglass, you're hit, and Warping Wheel. You're hitting a, a oh, also Vault Scourge. Like half their deck is two mana cards. So you, you lock them out of their own cards if you have this and are able to pop it up to two. Because the only two mana spell that, uh, two mana spells that Shadow plays are Days. And Diabolic Edict and a Hymn to Torok and the Throne of Geth itself. Yep. So you're looking at three cyborg cards in Edict, Hymn, and Throne, and only one in the main board. That's it. Oh, and I didn't well, even talk about this the really cool tech that they have in the main board. Turn one or turn ze- turn one, no man on the board, cycle street wraith, play a land, crack your land, fetch your, f- fetch a shock land, so you're already at fifteen, you know, like you are in standard, right? Or modern, yep. right? reanimate target street wraith lose five more life they have, they're, oh. they're playing two of reanimate in the main board L- lsv said that his sickest hit off of reanimate was an opponent he was playing that was playing reanimator that had chancellor of the annex and he said i won a game with chancellor of the annex where i didn't even cast it i'm not even playing it in my list so Yo. but yeah so i'm i'm on it I love, like, I'm happy that Infect and death shadow are both legacy viable decks so minimal upgrade to me makes me happy but that's enough for some decks i have rambling on and on because let's go talk about some studs and duds yeah so this is watching the pro tour some studs the play already talked about this don't really need to go into it too much but 
seriously, do yourself a favor, go watch all of Sunday's magic. So both the semifinals and the finals. And I believe it was uh, Riley said the uh, round to watch was round 12 All right, on Saturday. But seriously, go just if you get the time to piece yourself, piece it together and just go watch the whole pro tour. Um, Legacy, they kind of put a spotlight on Legacy, which was great because we don't get to see a whole lot of high level Legacy played on the on the Grand Prix level, let alone pro tour level. We haven't seen on the pro tour in years. We do get to see it a bunch in SCG, but no offense to people who play at the SCG events. SCG uh, level of play is definitely nowhere near the pro tour level of play that we saw. Um, it was just insane. Uh, team play. This is the next one I got on the list. Team play was great. Um, there's a reason why we've seen a massive uptick in a lot of team uh, constructed events. However, there was an article that somebody, uh, Rich, who is on Hipster the Coast, was like, yeah, let's make all, like, like we could, we could possibly, like, he, it was like a thought experiment, like making all the pro tour team play. And the way he proposed it is like, and something that people have also mentioned is, should we even have limited at the pro tour anymore? That's a discussion for a whole nother day, though, because we can go, we can delve really far into that. But they were saying, yeah, they were saying yeah. team play could be teams of six, so you have three that play constructed, three that play uh, team limited. And I'm like, first off, you're going to really kill the novelty of team events. Second off, people are already struggling to get teams of three. How do you think they're going to get teams of six? that's insane especially if you need to like rotate through and you have grinders who like might occasionally make a pro tour and then fall off and then come back another pro tour like you can't keep a consistent team that way it's just but anyway team play this time was great um and i'm going to tie this in a bit of our next one with coverage because with the coverage in the coverage area they would actually hold matches so that you know if like you finished your match but like your modern match was still going on they would say okay legacy players you can hold on you can go over to the modern table real quick go help them out as far as that match goes and then they would come back to the legacy table so you could you know hold um and show as much magic as possible because remember legacy is going to be relatively quick certain modern decks are looking just destroying a couple turns and like i said there's some decks in standard that can win in three minutes um so and they also gave plenty of time extensions. We saw one match, like the time counter go from like 12 minutes up to 30 minutes just because of, they had been watching and like helping out with the game that was going on. So they basically held their match, popped it up. Uh, the round coverage was great. Uh, the side content that they produce didn't really see a whole lot in terms of, um, you know, going to the house, the, the testing houses and all that kind of stuff like we used to in the past. We did get some of it, but not as much. Um, but the enters the battlefield things, because it's the 25th anniversary, they did one about Grand Prix Vegas, which was excellent, but they specifically had one about the alpha play testers where they went to Philadelphia, where Nathan Holt, and the enters the battlefield crew are from, but also that's where magic is from. And if you saw a tweet I made this weekend because of it, I, I explained in chat, West Philadelphia, born and raised, because Magic the Gathering is literally born and raised in West Philadelphia, um, because that's where Richard Garfield went to college at Penn, and all that kind of stuff like that, and all the teachers and everything like that, that's in considered West Philadelphia area, like uh, University City. So they would go play like a pizza pizza shop and stuff like that. And some of the things in this ETB, like you see them playing with priceless artifacts and by that i mean the literal alpha playtest cards like not even like magic cards like the white card the white like cardboard cutout cards unsleeved or anything like that just you know shuffling it with their hands like kind of like mash shuffling a little bit with it and it's like they're priceless collectibles and they just own them and it's like whatever because you know they still have them and then one of the, the very first alpha tester uh, has a uncut rare alpha sheet yep that is priceless like he just like i think i saw a comment where it's like oh yeah you just casually have a hundred k hundred hundred thousand dollar piece of art on your wall yeah just like well because i guess they'd had it kind of set up but the way it was in the show is like oh yeah and this isn't what an uncut sheet looks like and he kind of just pulled like he had it in his frame he just kind of pulled it up and like here's what it looks like and i was just like oh my god but no that atb was great um the interviews that they got for that they actually talked to uh richard garfield's old math professor yep 
and stuff like that among other people. It was, if you're going to go watch it, it's like 12 minutes. And I know for a fact, it's, I'm pretty sure it's already on YouTube. It's definitely in the VOD, but we'll link it. Go watch it. Do yourself a favor. It was incredible. Like it was just, I don't even know how to put it. It was just a, a thank you letter almost. And they also did have another couple sections where players who were at the pro tour did like, you know, how they got into the game and thanked Richard Garfield for everything and all that kind of stuff. So it was really sweet. And birthday celebration was kind of nice for it. The trophy was excellent too. They, they redid the trophy. Um, if you go look at it, uh, and everyone's like, Hey, look, the trophy's looking great again. I mean, I kind of liked the trophy before, but it definitely, the trophy grew up here for this event. Um, and again, with covered, I'm still on coverage here, but the team was just excellent. Um, Every event they've done, they've just gotten better and better. Uh, Maria on the desk, her play with Rich, and then if they have uh, Simon on the desk or BDM, or they bring Paul in on it, you know, to talk in between rounds, like they're just the banter they have is great and it's perfect. Um, and of course, LSV didn't make the final; they didn't make top four, so they brought him in for coverage as well, which I love. Just you know, it stinks not getting to see him play because the the dude is just a, a technical machine with the play, but he's just so good on coverage too. I'm so happy they're able to bring him in for that particular stuff. So that's, that's my studs. Uh, the play, the team, like team, the team event is great. Um, actually one thing before we go to the duds, uh, I think it's Saffron Olive. So Seth brought up a a thing of, you know, make the course, since we have course sets now, make the course set pro tour, a team pro tour. Now I could see that, like, and I would be totally on board with that. A yearly, However, a yearly team pro tour would not be terrible. However, again, you bring up the legacy cost issue. Yeah, which is exactly what's going to happen. Which is what I was bringing up because I'm guarantee you that a lot of the rise in legacy staples, specifically reserve list cards, was because of this pro tour. Oh, I have no doubt in my mind that there was definitely an impact on an increase in legacy prices due to the fact there's pro tour. Now I'll also say. That because of that, I could see a rise in popularity in these Death Shadow decks because they don't need true dual lands. Yeah, the decks are still like three thousand dollar decks though, because you are yeah, they're still expensive. Well, that's not not gonna lie. You're looking at Force of Wills, Brainstorms, and the like. Well, you're running two underground season deck. Still, to be fair, the the Grixis version of it drops about a thousand dollars because you're not running you're only running one underground sea, but you're running three water grave and a steam vents and a blood crypt instead of that. Honestly, yeah. I think the Grixis version having access to red mana might just be a little bit better, especially if you're looking at stuff like Phyrexian Revoker. Depending on your meta, um, the Grixis version, I, I just like a Braid too much, honestly. It is a very powerful card. The Braid and the, the Blasts are pretty good. I mean, if, even, if I just, even if I just put one Steam Vents in the deck, or no, not even Steam Vents, just put a, uh, a Blood Crypt in there like i would be happy with having access to like one red mana maybe two for an abrade yep. out of the sideboard that's it like a, just a red splash but uh the duds i ended the studs with coverage i'm going to start the duds with coverage so uh they had only three tables in the main uh feature match area just three so that means you get one team one team versus one team that's it uh, yeah, these are single tables these are, that only fit two people, not like full team tables. Correct. Yeah. So these were three single, single opponent, you know, head to head tables. There was a lot of empty space because they had, they went back to the older uh, non open platform kind of they've had in some previous pro some of the more recent pro tours. They went in like the old school kind of you know, like semicircle area where they probably could have maybe like condensed the area between the tables a little bit and fit a second row of tables in there to maybe have this one is the primary matchup we're going to get all of this and if we have time and if we need to we can record extra backup matches because i don't know if this is just me because like i'm in a very unique position as i'm like commenting on this as a moderator for the chat um there was a, a lot of times where people would just complain, oh God, we're going to cut into a commercial again for another 30 seconds. Why can't we just go to magic? I get it why they need to do that, but it just got to a point where by Sunday, I was just sick, completely sick of seeing chat, just like being like, why are we going to commercial again? 
it was bad from my prediction. Yeah. That, and again, this so, is this is a personal dud of mine. Um, maybe if they had, I don't know, like they've cut to like the commercial slides, you know, showing the player profiles for like 30, 40 seconds and come back. There were a couple rounds where it felt like they were trying to shoehorn some, you know, content in just because the rounds that they had in the feature match area ended with like 30 minutes left on the clock. So they had like 30 minutes to burn where they, if they'd had a, you know, a backup match, they could have had some pre-recorded content. It's again, something maybe in the future, they didn't anticipate that kind of thing, but having a team pro tour, finally, they can actually, you know, anticipate being like, okay, maybe. So I think there's two reasons that come to mind. One, there wasn't the space in the, in the, in the future match area. Mm -hmm. Two, they don't have six tables. Yeah, that's true. Cause they usually only have four. Yeah. So that those would be my my first kind of reads. Oh, and I don't I don't. And then yeah. and then and then number three, which I just thought of, they may not have enough cameras. That is true, but I mean, so I figured, but there's a lot of there's a lot of mitigating factors there. I agree, and I think everyone at Wizards would also agree that having a second team set there available would be way preferable. But logistically, logistically, hardware wise, yeah. yeah, I can see the shortcomings in the hardware, and that's fine. Like, yeah, I, but this is again, this is just me looking at it as somebody who you know. Had to deal with chat all weekend. No force. Um, so another dud, cheating and lying. We had somebody disqualified in round seven, so the entire team was disqualified. Uh, that would be Dan Ward. Yeah, I read that. Dan Ward, that was... uh, basically, I'm not going to – we're kind of running short on time, but to TLDR it for you, um, his opponent had – his human's opponent had an Aether Vial out, activated Aether Vial, trigger on the stack. Dan let the trigger resolve. Meddling Mage enters the battlefield. He tried to respond to the Meddling Mage entering the battlefield because – there, you know, yeah. When it enters the battlefield, you name a card, and name card can't be played. He was trying to argue, saying that because he missed his trigger to use his path to exile that he wanted to use while the Aether Vial was on the stack. He was saying, "Oh, while you're naming with meddling majors, a trigger I can re- respond to. There is no trigger to respond to. There is no window to respond to." And he was trying to say, "Oh, well, I didn't know there was a window to, to not respond to." They, the judges did some investigation, and realized that no, he did in fact know that there is no window. He missed it. And was lying to the judges. Therefore, they disqualified him from the tournament. Therefore, his teammate, uh, I don't remember his third teammate, but I know his other teammate was Craig Wesco. So, mm-hmm. seven, round seven in Pro Tour, you're already gone. So, that stinks. Don't lie or cheat. Yep. Again, uh, another thing from the chat that kind of, you know, had me as a moderator kind of irked is anytime Marcio Carvalho was on the screen, <laughs> which yep. was a lot in day two and, day th- and, and on Saturday because, you know, he made the top four is that there was a lot of people like mentioning, Oh, he's a cheater. Don't let cheaters win. Blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, Oh my God, you guys, he was suspended for cheating once. And you know, people are still, you know, that's the thing with magic players is you cheat once and you basically have that hanging over your head the rest of your career. Like no one's ever going to think Dan, no one's ever going to take Dan word at face value ever again in nope. magic. Um, people still haven't taken Marcio Carvalho face value. People absolutely don't take uh, Bertoncini. No, yeah, Bertoncini. To be fair, Bertoncini deserves every piece of gruff that he gets oh, he does. here to the end of time. Oh, he does. But I'm saying I'm using I'm using him like he definitely doesn't get any kind of slack. But other people no. like Carvalho. If Carvalho changes ways, fine. I I remain an indifferent observer on this. Um, yeah. But I was starting to time people out in chat and other moderators and stuff were starting to time people out in chat. Uh, the Watsy mods were doing it. Um, mainly because it was just unbe like people were starting to complain like oh we can't talk about it's like no it's just because it's unbecoming it has no pertinent relevance to what we're talking about in magic which is the game going on right now yep so it's weird i, I have i could talk an entire podcast about moderating chats but maybe i will someday uh, i probably should maybe i, we'll I kind of should at least a half episode maybe a, a side episode yeah that's yep. it kci dud Mainly because we got to see in full force um, basically what got Second Sunrise deck, the Eggs deck, banned after uh, Pro Tour re- Return to Ravnica at the hands yep. of one of the Silver Showdown players, uh, Stanislav Sifka. Um, basically, I will not get in. I don't need to get into it hugely because we will link in the show notes to a article Emma Handy wrote on just before the Pro Tour. She literally knocked it out of the damn park with how well articulated the argument is for why Clark Clan Ironworks, the card itself, needs to be banned. You don't need to worry about Ancient Stirrings. 
No need to worry about other cards that enable it, like Mox Opal, because they have wide implications on hitting other decks if you ban those cards. If you want to get rid of KCI and the Eggs style play that it, you know, produces, just get rid of the actual card itself. Period. End of sentence. Yep. Um, I get it. It's cute. It's cheeky. It's one of those cool little combo decks. But for tournament magic, it just doesn't shouldn't exist. Um, and my last dud will be the Silver Showdown. But it wasn't all awful. But it wasn't great, really. Um, it was awesome to get to see another beta draft because, and it wasn't even technically a full beta draft. It was beta. They had antiquities. They had what was it? Uh, they had like a bunch of old things, like Arabian Nights yeah. and Legends. I think it was. It was a lot. It was. It was a lot of. Old yeah, they stuff. had a bunch of old packs being opened, and it was cool to see. It was really great. Um. Oh, that's another coverage thing I forgot about. Update your darn card images, wizards. Please use high res images. They exist of cards. Like seeing like full res images of cards when they were showing like, hey, these are some you know hit cards from you know. Arabian Nights, you'll see some reprints in there, and then you'll see them sitting next to the older versions that haven't been reprinted, like Shaharazad. And you're like, yep. the Shaharazad was such low resolution, it looked horrible sitting next to um, another card that you know, was much higher quality. I actually tweeted about it too, so if you follow me on Twitter, you saw me actually yep. bringing this up. The high-res images exist. The fact that Wizard itself doesn't use them blows my mind. Um. So that was another thing about the Silver Showdown I, I was questionable about. Um, the invite, I, I'm not going to really go into it too much. We've already talked about it. Other people have talked about it at, at length, ad nauseum, blah, 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 whatever. About the invites and who got invited. I'm not even going to touch that. Um, the draft was great. But after that, t- for me personally, I just didn't... It, was, there was, it wasn't must-watch magic. I didn't feel the draw to okay i'm the the regular standard rounds regular rounds of the event are over because what they did is they drafted on thursday and then they did the quarterfinals after round seven on friday and then they did the semifinals after the top four announcement on saturday and then they did the finals right before the finals on sunday or the semifinals on sunday so i was just like eh, i don't know it wasn't I just ne- didn't really feel the draw to it. It wasn't like something I had to watch. You know, like I watched the draft. That was really cool. It's kind of like, you know, what... what it's, it's the ultimate, it's, I only watch the draft videos for the draft and not the games. Yeah, it's the it's the limited player problem. It's, I want to see you draft and I could care, to, care less about your games. So, yeah. um, but mentioning, so that's it basically for the Pro Tour. Uh, I really enjoyed it. It was great. Um Let's talk about the Silver Showdown briefly. Uh, Pro Tour, like I mentioned, Eggs, Pro Tour returned to Ravnica champ Stanislav Sifka, who has since moved on to other games like Hearthstone and Poker, I think. Um, he drafted Red Black and defeated Hearthstone and MTG streamer Jason Chan, a.k.a. Amaz, uh, who was playing a green, black, splashing red for Fireball and one other card. Um, three games to one in the finals. So that was kind of cool um, to see those guys make it. And everyone's like, oh, look at this. The Hearthstone players made it to the finals. and But, I mean, hey, they got their way there. They won. Can't knock them. They're good players. Yep. They like, And everyone's like, oh, Maz plays Magic? It's like, yeah, the guy's actually pretty good at Magic. He was. He played at a Pro Tour. He, he was one win away from qualifying for this Pro Tour. At that yeah, Pro Tour. Like, he got the special invite and almost requalled for the next yeah, Pro Tour. Like, the dude is good at card games. Period. End of statement. He's yeah, a good card game player. I'm not even. I'm not, don't I'm give not him crap. This on. And he was he was hilarious. He was great when he was on um the uh, pre pre release that he, that loading Run had him for. Yeah. So absolutely can't blame him there. Uh, and one final thing. So that's that's going to absolutely end it for the Pro Tour related stuff. But implications from the Pro Tour have Worlds roster set. Yeah. So um I I did kind of go off on it earlier. The previous year winner doesn't get an invite anymore. This happened with BBD last year, and it happened again with uh, William Jensen this year, which just feels wrong that the previous winner doesn't get to defend the title. I mean, I know in other sports and stuff like that, you have to earn your way in, and I get that. But I feel like for events like this, give one slot to the previous winner. It's a field of, what, 24 players or something like that? But that's also one player on who wouldn't make it otherwise so i get it and then you could say you but. can expand the field um 
because to be fair, I would say, you know, because what stinks is that the Latin American champion and the North American champion were actually Pro Tour winners this year. And the worst part is, is the Latin America championship doesn't pass down. That your Yeah, your region championship doesn't pass down if you win a Pro Tour. So Luis Salvato is the lone representative from like the Latin America region. Hmm. Like he's the only person from there, which stinks. Seth Manfield, Pro Tour Ixlon winner and North American champion, qualified doubly for that. But what, of course what it does is it allowed like Sigris and Matt Nass to qualify because they were 13th and 14th most on pro points. So those two guys wouldn't have made it had the North American slot. Well, actually, Sigrist, I think, would have made it because Reed Duke would have then been the North American champion because he had the most pro points. So Matt Nass would have been shut out of the pro, uh, the Worlds had the North American champion passed down and Latin American champion passed down to another player at that point. It's also yeah. weird, too, because we got three slots for just this pro tour, all three pro tour winners. For the team series, oh. get in. Yeah, Wu, Hull, and Orange, but all three qualify. Which is that does change things a little bit, doesn't? Yeah, it? which is really this year is going to be a weird one with the pro tour, with the team series, and with, like again, if we went to that thing where we have a team pro tour every year, they might have to relook at how many players qualify for Worlds too, because at that point you can expand the field, give Euro to European Europe two slots, APAC two slots, Latin American two slots. And North America is yeah. probably going to get two slots, but we North America has half the field in it anyway, which is kind of crazy. Yeah. Um, but anyway, our field is Seth Manfield, Pro Twixlon, and North American champion. Also, I believe Seth Manfield is player of the year this year. I so believe, congrats yes, congrats to him too. I believe he locked it up. Uh, Luis Salvato, Pro Tour Rivals of Ixalan winner and the Latin American champion. Congrats to him. Wyatt Darby, Pro Tour Dominary winner. Alan Wu, Ben Hull, Greg Orange, PT 25th anniversary winners. You have Matt Severa, the Constructive Master, Elias Watzfeldt, the Draft Master, Marcio Carvalho, your European champion from Portugal, Ken Yukihiro from Japan is your APAC champion, and then going in order from 1st to 14th most, pro points otherwise unqualified, Reed Duke, Owen Turtonwalk, Ben Stark, John Rolfe, Martin Musa, Gregoris Kowalski, Javier Dominguez, Andrea Mangucci, Terry Thompson, Brad Nelson, Shahar Shenhar, Brian Brondewin, Mike Sigrist, and Matt Nass. We'll post a link. Hey, Shahar's back on the, on the World he Championship. Is. That is really cool. And BBD made it back, too. Hey. So, um, yes, yeah, so we got – it's a really good-looking field. Again, really would love to see another Latin American player in there. F- sadly enough, we don't get to see Yuya Watanabe. Oh, wow. Yeah, really? It's, it, Ken Yukihiro is the only APAC player. Huh. This is this is, I wonder, this is where I wonder this is where if, I feel they need two region champ they need two region slots honestly because like one two three four five six seven eight nine ten eleven twelve thirteen fourteen fifteen fourteen or fifteen of those names I just mentioned are Americans yeah one, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, if you're listening wizards consider that ten so ten or fourteen North Americans ten not from North America. Yes, we have a more yeah, North American so slant yeah. in this game, but still, it, it's a, it's wholly unrepresenting worlds, in my opinion. Yeah. yeah, Wizards, if you're listening, maybe maybe change that. Yeah, because again, not that hard. Because again, a lot of these American players have a lot more pro, a lot more Grand Prix to go to, and a lot more slot opportunities to earn pro points than a lot of these other players elsewhere around the world, especially when it comes to Latin America. Um, but that's it's true. That's a big, I guess you could say, a really, really, really big dud. But other than that, um, Wizards did a great job. Happy 25th birthday, Magic. Um, yeah. You're, you're an amazing game, and I can't wait to uh, for many more birthday celebrations to come, maybe at 30. And I mean, 50. The, next, the, the next big one's got to be 50. Yeah, but, but I mean, I can see them doing a little something every every five years. Of course. Of course. Sell some packs, man. Got to sell them packs. Yeah. But so I think that's going to go ahead and do it for our conversation about Porter 25th anniversary. Go watch if you haven't um, watched it. Yeah, I'll need to go watch the VODs. Do it. do it. So, Ian, if people wanted to find you on the social medias, where can they do you so? You can find me on Twitter at DixonIJ. That's D-I-X-O-N-I-J. And you guys can find me on Twitch at twitch.tv slash Dix. Uh, maybe when? No, Wednesday I got Legacy. Maybe Thursday? Uh, potentially Friday? Depending on when I go to my dad's house, I'll probably try streaming this week. Definitely going to stream next week. 
I'm getting things, I'm really getting settled in. So stream should resume shortly. When morale improves. <laughs> morale has improved. <laughs> Having an apartment's an amazing thing. I'm so much happier. Anyway, John, where can they find you, my friend? You guys can find me on Twitter at jwally129. That's J-W-I-L-E-Y-129. I'm also on Twitch at the same handle. So if you see me in a chat room, don't hesitate to say hi. Uh, if you want to reach the podcast directly, you can do so in one of two ways. You can find us on Twitter at Eyes in the Mize, or you can shoot us an email at eyesinthemize at gmail.com. We'd love to hear how we can best improve the podcast for you, our lovely listeners. On behalf of Ian, I'm John. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll talk to you all next time. <laughs>